welcome everyone to episode 62 of the Practicology Podcast. Please make sure you listen to the end because at the very end of this episode, Matthew and I are going to do the draw for the I Love to Read Challenge in February. We had a number of people write back and say that they had read through the Key Bible Concepts book, which is so great. And so we'll do a draw. And I think we have two winners uh, that, that we're going to announce at the end. But uh, last episode, we talked with Seth Griffin about art, and we're going to finish that conversation next week. But Matthew is on deck for this episode, and, and he's calling it, God is a gardener. I trust you'll be giving us some horticultural help today, Matthew. I do plan to, although I am not an avid gardener or farmer. But we're thinking today about God as a gardener. This is the first of a series of podcasts we're going to do on some New Testament metaphors for the local church. And we're starting with 1 Corinthians 3, verse 9, where the Apostle Paul writes to the church of God in Corinth and tells them, you are God's field. But they're not just any field. The language of the text indicates a cultivated field, a field where ground has been plowed up and turned over and things have been planted like farmland or like a garden. Yeah, that's such a lovely image. The church is a garden. And I I think God must like gardens because he talks about them so often in scripture. I mean, right at the beginning in Genesis 2, it says the Lord God planted a garden in Eden and he put the man there to work it and keep it. And so it seems that God's intention for Adam and Eve was to make the, the rest of the whole earth like a garden. Yeah, I think so. And that garden imagery comes up again in the tabernacle. God sort of planted a tree in that sanctuary. He called it the lampstand, but its design was made to look like a living tree. Yeah, and that continues into the temple, right? When David and Solomon received the plans for the sanctuary, uh, there's flowers and palm trees carved into the wood, and, and the pomegranates were part of the temple pillars. I love pomegranates. Okay, that's right. Ra- <laughs> do you not like pomegranates i'm not sure i've ever had one (laughs) well they're delicious but what's also interesting is that those words used to describe adam's activity in the garden of eden to work it and to keep it those same two words are later employed to describe the service of the priests in the tabernacle and the temple so the temple was like a garden and the garden in eden was like a temple and in that first temple garden at the beginning of the bible a river flowed to water the garden. In Revelation, at the end of the Bible, there's a heavenly city. It's like a cosmic temple. And from the throne of God in that heavenly city flows a river with the water of life. On either side of that river is the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit. So you're right, Mike. God likes gardens. Yeah, and God also likes the church. In fact, he loves the church. And so it shouldn't surprise us that he compares the one to the other. The church is a garden. Let me just read a few verses for us there in 1 Corinthians 3, Matthew. Uh, Paul writes, For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Saul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. The local church is a garden for God. It belongs to him. 
He makes it grow, and the fruit is for his pleasure. A church doesn't belong to the man who planted it or the elders who lead it. Paul doesn't say, you are my field. He says, you are God's field, God's garden. There are leaders in the church, sure, but they don't own the garden. God does. The local church doesn't belong to people who put the most money into it. Sure, a church needs money to operate, and thousands and thousands of dollars will flow through various churches, but giving money isn't buying shares at a church board of directors table. It is God's garden. The church doesn't belong to the people who worship and serve within it. We may speak of our assembly or my local church. I'm fine with that language, but it isn't actually ours. It doesn't belong to us. It's not a democracy. It's not of the people, by the people, for the people. It's of God, by God, and for God. And the spiritual growth and blessing that we do experience, well, you just read it a minute ago, Mike, at verse 7, God gives the growth. Yeah, and when I hear that, I'm just thinking, I'm so thankful that God is a good gardener. He is able to give us growth. In fact, only God can produce the spiritual growth that we want to see in our churches. We still have work to do in the garden. We read that we are God's fellow workers, and farms do require an awful lot of work but it's God who gives the growth. Yeah, Paul certainly did work hard in Corinth and everywhere else he took the gospel. He planted and he invested blood, sweat, and tears in those gardens. And the best of farmers and horticulturalists will work hard and will know plenty about the soil they are working with and the plants they're cultivating. But the best of farmers cannot give life to any plant. How much less can a preacher or a Sunday school teacher or a church elder give spiritual life and growth to a person? So this metaphor is a reminder that God gets the glory in the local church, that Christ might be preeminent. When people are saved through the ministry of the church, God does that. When people are added to the fellowship, God does that. When believers are developing in Christian maturity through the ministry and fellowship of your local church, God is at work there. All right, so we should be thankful that the church is God's garden. Only he can give the growth we want to see and He gives us the privilege of being his fellow workers in these gardens. But I'm also taking from this chapter that sometimes we can hinder growth in the garden by behaving in a fleshly way, by forgetting it is God's garden, and by thinking and acting like it's a stage for man's glory. I think that's what's going on in Corinth. There seems to have been some factions developing around different teachers, maybe Paul and Apollos, or maybe other local leaders. Yeah, and we will revisit that point when we look at the church as a building. But for now, I do love how Paul starts to address that here at verse 5. He says, men and women are servants. They're not spiritual life givers. He says, what is Apollos? What is Paul? He doesn't even say who is Paul, but what is Paul? Mike, I think you're probably a bit of a Dr. Seuss fan. It wouldn't surprise me. Are you familiar with the who's from Whoville? I I sure am. And just to throw it out there, last night I read my youngest, uh, the book about Mr. Knox. Have you (laughs) you read that Dr. Seuss book? It doesn't sound familiar. I have to get a copy of that one, but I know. Yeah, I recommend it. Okay. In the Who's from Whoville. Well, the Who's are are small humanoids with canine snouts and 12 toes. Do you remember, Mike, who the most famous Who was? Uh, Cindy Lou Who? Cindy Lou from Whoville was the most famous who. That's right. I knew I could count on you. The thing that the thing that touches me here about the Apostle Paul, the spiritual giant that was the Apostle Paul, is that he wasn't looking to be a who. What is Paul? 
He wasn't seeking fame. He didn't need to be on a top 50 under 50 list for Christianity Today or a top 50 over 50 list. He was a servant. Well, this just shows us how relevant the Bible is, Matthew. Uh, This can be a problem among us today, never mind Corinth 2,000 years ago. It can be a problem among us today and in evangelical Christianity as a whole. Yeah, and right now I'm not thinking so much of the risk of leaders themselves seeking fame, although that is a risk, but the risk that we create when we turn leaders and teachers into heroes, when we create the pedestals, when we push them up on the pedestal, when we then aren't willing to rebuke them or take them aside because of our own pride, because we've contributed to their fleshly exaltation and we don't want to admit it. The common, though thankfully not exclusive, evangelical practice of having single pastors over a church, I don't mean single as in not married, but just one man, or having a senior pastor who holds much more sway than fellow pastor elders, that's unbiblical and that contributes to this problem. It's a man-made model that exalts an individual to a position that's unhealthy and unfair to him. But even for churches or Christians that know that is not the biblical model, they can still in practice do the same thing with preachers or leaders in the church. It is the flesh that puts servants on pedestals. The man on the pedestal may actually be trying to resist it, but it is the flesh at work in the hearts of we who are giving those men that place and that glory that needs to be dealt with. And that is what Paul is writing in 1 Corinthians 3. Yeah, obviously there will be leaders among God's people and they should be respected. We can follow their faith. I mean, Hebrews 11 encourages us to do that, Hebrews 12. But there is a difference between respecting and idolizing. And just bringing that back into this passage, Matthew and 1 Corinthians 3, it's, it's God's garden. That's the reminder. It's God's garden, and he is the one who gives the growth. Thank you. And another way we could phrase this issue is, do we want the local church to be a fruit farm or a flesh factory? A fruit farm or a flesh factory. Now, that's a phrase I'm borrowing from Justin Pratt. I'm not sure if he's the originator of it or not, but, but I heard him use that terminology in a message a few years ago. Corinth was becoming a flesh factory glorying, boasting in the flesh and the perspectives of the flesh. That church was a flesh factory. God is looking for a fruit farm. And farms and factories are very different things. Men designed factories. God designed farms. Genesis 2, the Lord God built a factory? No, he planted a garden. Natural man will construct a factory and and produce output, but gardens grow with a supernatural growth that comes from God. So do you want your local church to be a flesh factory or a fruit farm? They're different things. Well, I'm excited you're doing this series on on the images of the the church, Matthew. And and I think the point at this part of the episode is that we we do need the Bible to tell us what those images are, right? I mean, when I think of a factory, I think of output, uh, pressure from owners and managers to produce results. You know, our customer needs 500 orders by Friday. We, we have to increase productivity by by 3%. And that's when we use our own image of what the church should be. But, but as you say, and as you're bringing out here, the Bible is not a flesh factory. It's a fruit farm. Yeah, I look back at my few years of employment in my previous career and 
there was such a significant change in five years that I was with that firm, such a significant change in the pressure they put upon us for utilization rates and the percent of our time that was to be chargeable to clients and focus upon timesheets had to be submitted every Friday afternoon. And it was compared to every other office in the country. If there wasn't enough chargeable hours, we might be shipped off to another part of the country soon. So for years after I left that environment, occasionally I'd still be stricken with fear on a Friday afternoon. Did I did I submit my timesheet for the week or not? Because that was such a, a pressure that was on us every Friday, external pressure for results. And I recognize that the business world's going to have to work that way. I'm not critical of them. But in God's garden, focus the focus is upon the internal process of growth, the development of Christian maturity and Christ-like character. And it's gradual. It's like a garden growing. It's an internal work of the Spirit. And it can look different in different people, but God can produce fruit in every single person in the garden. A factory is a place of noisy activity. You got big wheels turning, smoke billowing out. Well, the church should also be a place of activity, but it's not always the big programs or the big events or the big show that produces the big results. That's easy to report in newsletters and magazines but the church is a garden. Did you ever hear an apple grow? What kind of sound that makes? Did you ever stand in your garden and watch cucumbers grow? Gardens growth are slow and silent, but God likes gardens. Not necessarily the big visible thing, but God is making things happen. Another difference between a factory and a farm, Matthew, is the factory is often very concerned with uniformity uniformity of output. You want every part to be identical. Every piece has to look the same. And so there's quality control departments uh, need to meet the ISO 9001 standard protocol and so on, past regulations. But that's not what the output of a garden looks like. Uh, not every strawberry or potato or squash needs to look the same or should look the same. I love a good squash. Well, me too. And of course, that's what matters. It's the taste and that is not dependent upon how it looks on the outside, but but what it's like on the inside. Amen. Exactly. Brothers and sisters, are you more concerned with the assembly where you are, that local church? Are you more concerned with it being a flesh factory or a fruit farm? Flesh factories are easier to run, but they don't produce more fruit. And I'm concerned that if the fruit farm is run like a flesh factory, spiritual desires get polluted and spiritual people get discouraged and when there are job openings on the farm they don't want to share them with their friends because they feel it's not a good place to work i hope you catch that metaphor my concern is is spiritual saints aren't going to try to win people to the garden if they perceive it's being run more like a flesh factory and the church in corinth had become quite focused on fleshly appeal in their case, eloquence of speech or power of personality. And Paul says, look, I, I came with the message of the cross about a grain of wheat that fell into the ground and died that it might produce much fruit. And I want to think about this more too when we talk about the church as a building. But remember, the church is supposed to be about Christ. It should take its character from Christ. Never was there a more spiritual man than our Lord Jesus. He wasn't self-seeking. Matthew 12 quotes, Isaiah 42, and applies that description of the Lord's servant to Jesus. He did not quarrel or cry aloud, nor did anyone hear his voice in the streets. And he told his disciples the pathway to their producing spiritual fruit was abiding in him, John 15. 
He was self-sacrificing, humble, gracious. And while Isaiah 53 says there was no external form or majesty or beauty that made people desire him, it also says he grew up before God like a young plant. He was fruitful. He's like that tree of Psalm 1 planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. And our divine gardener wants to produce Christ-like fruit, and he wants to use his gardens, local churches, for that purpose. Yeah, and one of the things I'm taking away from this episode today is, is that we should just want to cooperate with God in that work. When we allow the flesh to dictate our thinking, we hinder spiritual growth in the church. But our gracious God is inviting us to work in the garden with him, to work it and to keep it. Yeah, so while it is God's garden and he gives the growth, he does expect us to work in the garden. Thank you for that. And the church is a field, it's a garden, it's a farm, lots of work to do in a farm. And he expects each of us to be involved in the work. Are you doing any gardening for God? There's a radio show around here called The Weekend Gardener. I don't know if it airs Saturday morning or Sunday morning. I don't regularly catch it, but the the title of it caught me. I hear it advertised. Because that can also be a problem in local churches, that people view churches as a weekend gardening exercise. You know what I mean there, Mike? Yeah, I think I know what you mean, Matthew. Kind of a Sunday morning only. I'll, I'll just show up on on once a week on the weekend and, and not really get my hands dirty and involved. Right. Gardens take more involvement than just an occasional visit. This is an ongoing activity. It's a regular work. Farming is an ongoing toil. And you who farm know what would happen if you only did work on your farm on Saturday mornings, once in a while, something like that. You wouldn't be farming long. There is work to do in a local church. Like gardening and farming, sometimes it's messy, difficult, but it's valuable, beloved. This is God's garden we get to work in. What a, what a privilege. What a descriptor there in verse 9. We are God's fellow workers. God likes gardens. God is a good gardener. And what a special privilege that we can get down in the soil with God and participate in his work of producing beautiful fruit. Amen, Matthew. Beautiful fruit indeed. And I like that you use the word beautiful. I, I see that an author has come out with a book and he's calling the church the loveliest place on earth, I think is what he called it, or the most beautiful place on earth. Hmm. And so not only is the fruit that gets produced in, in the garden that is the church beautiful, but the church herself is so beautiful to the Lord. And and if we're growing in sanctification, it's going to become more and more beautiful to us. So thanks for uh, walking us through this first of several images of what the local church is for, uh, Matthew. And I guess we did say that we were going to uh, do a draw at the end of this episode. So do you have that all keyed up for us? I do. I've got the names online here in a random draw sampler. So I'm going to click a button and we're going to get the two names and then we'll contact those people and uh, we'll let you choose another David Gooding book for us to send to you. Thanks for participating in it with us. Here we go. Here come the winners. Waiting for it to finish. Okay, here's the two winners. Robert Turnbull and Kelly Kim. Congratulations. Thanks for participating in this with us, and we will be in touch with you shortly. Well, congratulations, Robert and Kelly, and thank you to everyone who finished. Thank you to everyone who even tried. Maybe you started and got halfway through. We're uh, grateful for for your participation, and uh, we look forward to seeing you next week. Have a great day, everyone.